Well, good morning, church. It's great to see you here on this last Sunday in 2018. Look forward to what God and His providence has in store for this fellowship in 2019. And I'm sure that He knows the plans that He has for you. Amen? Amen. And uh, I'm excited for you to see how God is going to arrange that and see who He's going to send to lead this wonderful fellowship. In the meantime, uh, it is my joy to share the Word of God with you uh, today. And I invite you to turn with me in the book of Romans to chapter 8, one of the most uh, loved, beloved chapters in the Bible. And we're going to look at one of the most beloved verses in the Bible. I, I think once you hear it, you will agree with that. It is the most beloved verse for many, many people. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28 and reading through verse 30. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Now, Father, would you open this text to us by your precious Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would help us to recognize your hand at work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to preach to you today on the subject of God's purpose for you in 2019. Now, you might say that's a little bit presumptuous on your behalf, that you might be able to say, what is God's purpose for me, or God's purpose for you? But I believe I can say, biblically speaking, I know what God's overall purpose is for you in 2019. Now, there are a lot of folks that lay their head on this verse of Scripture like a pillow. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Many of you could give testimony today to how that verse of Scripture has helped you when you received a bad diagnosis from the doctor. And that verse was like medicine to your soul as you could recognize that God was at work in your life even through that. Uh, Some of you lost a loved one. And these words help to carry you through that dark period of grief in your life. Or some of you were crushed and beaten down by the circumstances of life. And this verse gave you hope to keep going. But there are, there are many 
and perhaps some in this room today who secretly struggle with Romans 8, 28. They hear the verse quoted, but instead of it bringing comfort to their soul, it is like a mocking, cruel joke. Preacher, are you telling me that all things work together for good? Sickness is not good, preacher. Tragedy is not good, preacher. Divorce is not good, preacher. Suicide is not good, preacher. The death of a child is not good. Sometimes this verse is misused by well-meaning Christians who throw it into the face of those who are suffering as if it could answer every question of life. When it is misused, that way it produces an effect opposite to that intended by the Apostle Paul. My prayer is, God, help me not to do that today. Now, I notice the section in Romans where this particular verse in this chapter is found. Romans is one of the easiest books in the New Testament to outline. The first three chapters in Romans talks about sin. Chapter 1 talks about sin in the life of the person who doesn't have the Bible, the, the pagan, the unbeliever, the non-Jew. And he holds that pagan accountable for both creation and conscience. And then in chapter 2 and chapter 3, he talks about the man with the Bible. And he says in his concluding statement, chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the pagan and the Jew. The man without the Bible and the man with the Bible is guilty of sin. Then in chapters 4 and 5, he turns from sin to salvation. And he talks about how God has intervened in human history through His Son, Jesus Christ, to justify us, to forgive us. And he uses Abraham as an example in chapters 4 and 5. How that Abraham believed God, and because of his belief, he was justified. So there is sin in the first three chapters. There's salvation in the second two chapters. And then in, beginning in chapter 6 through 8, he talks about sanctification. And that's where these verses are. And I think it's important that we understand that because these verses are not referring to regeneration or justification, but these verses are referring to sanctification, referring to the power of God not just to deliver us from the penalty of sin, chapters 4 and 5, but to deliver us from the power of sin in our daily life, chapters 8 through 9. And so you'll notice then that it's important that we see in Romans 8, 28 that he is talking to believers. Now there are two prerequisites to be able to apply Romans 28 to your life. Let's look at it again. And we know that all things work together for good. To everybody? No. To those that love God and to those that are called according to the purposes of God. So the two prerequisites to apply Romans 8.28 to your life are these. Number one, you must be saved. Amen. And number two, you must be surrendered to the purposes of God. The truth is, all things don't work together for good to all people. Two things are implied in Romans 8, 28. Number one, 
that you're saved. Now Paul says to those that love God. Paul, to, that's Pauline way of saying to those that have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So number one, we must be saved. I would like to think that everybody in this room today has a personal relationship with God. But I'm not naive enough to believe really that that is true because I know some of you are here today, you're seeking perhaps, you're looking to see is there reality in this thing called Christianity? And I'm so glad you're here. But I just want to say to you, my precious unbelieving friend, that I want you to listen to what I say, but I want you to know that this is the starting point for you. For you to be able to say that God is at work in your life through every circumstance, number one, you must repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus. But the second prerequisite, now let me just back up and say that it is true that all things don't always work for good to all believers. No, because there's another prerequisite. Those that love God and those that are surrendered to the purposes of God. Surrendered to God's purpose. Look what he says. We know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to the what, church? According to the purposes of God. In other words, for me to be able to claim Romans 28, it's not enough just for me to be born again. I have to be surrendered to God's agenda in my life. I need to be pursuing God. I need to be pursuing His will for my life. Now, for many, many years, as, even as a preacher, I believed a half-truth. Now, it was true as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm sure that along the way as a child in church, I grew up in Baptist churches, I'm sure that I was taught the truth, but somehow I missed it. Maybe there's somebody here. You may have missed it too. Somebody defined heresy this way. Heresy is truth out of balance. And I grew up believing a truth that was out of balance. And here's the truth I believed. I believed Jesus was sufficient to get me out of hell. But somehow I had never trusted him to get the hell out of me. I had believed in Jesus. I had trusted his death for me. But I had not understood fully the scriptural teaching that when Jesus died on the cross, he not only died for me, but I died with him. And that it is God's purpose now to take my life and to begin to fashion me and shape me into the image of his son Jesus Christ. Now, so I would ask you this major question today. Why did God save you? Now that has to do with God's purpose for your life. Why did God save you? Or to what purpose did God save you? Now some of the possible answers are these. So I'll not go to hell. I say that's a wonderful thing. So I will be a better person, a husband, a wife, a child, an employee, a citizen. I say that's a wonderful thing. To have peace in my heart. And I tell you, that's a wonderful thing. But you might be surprised 
to know that none of those things listed above are major reasons why God saved you. The truth is that the things mentioned are attendant truths that accompany salvation. Yes, when we're saved, we have the wonderful joy of knowing that heaven is our eternal home and that our sin is forgiven and our guilt has been taken care of by the Lord Jesus. It is helpful to our society that Jesus makes us better husbands, better wives, better teenagers, and better employees. And who wouldn't want to have peace in their heart instead of trouble? But those things, as wonderful as they are, do not constitute the major purpose of our salvation. Why did God save us? Notice he says, according to God's purpose. Now, what is that purpose? Let me ask you a question, a very simple question. If uh, you had to choose between a 50-cent pen that writes or a $75 pen that doesn't write, which one would you choose? I want the one that writes too. You see, I've got that dilemma at, in my study. I've got a set of cross pens, gold-plated, that some deacons gave me in 1972. They were nice. They cost a bunch even back then. I, they, they look good on my desk. Man, folks in there that come into my office, they impressed with that set of gold-plated cross pens. But there's only one thing wrong with them. That's exactly right. They don't write. You can scratch your ear with them. You I mean, you can do a lot of things with them. But you can't write a letter with them. But you know what? I've got this pen. My wife is the, is the pen guru at the Southern Baptist Convention. Every little booth has pens. I've got a thousand, well, that's exaggerating. Uh, I've probably got 500, and that's not an exaggeration, pens at my home. This costs me nothing, but it writes. And I'm going to tell you what, I'd rather have this one than that $75 pen. You know why? Because it does what it was created to do. You see, success is not what you are. Success is what you are compared to what you ought to be. You see, success is tied to purpose. Now, I want to ask you, my believing friend, are you successful as a Christian? I'm not asking you, are you going to heaven when you die? I'm asking you, are you fulfilling God's purpose? Now, what is God's purpose? That's the key, is it not? For whom He, he, he gives us the, the purpose here. And he says that the purpose is, look at verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate. Now, folks, listen, that's a great word. Don't let it scare you. See that word destinate? Think about the word destination. He predestination. In other words, pre means before. It means that God knows your destination. God knows where He's taking you. Now, you may not know the route He's going to take to get you there. And that's the problem with us, but it's not a problem with Him. Now, He says, for whom He did foreknow, then He also did predestinate to what? Folks, remember, I said He's talking about sanctification in these verses. Uh, uh, he's not talking about election to salvation in these verses. Election's a wonderful truth. It's found throughout Scripture, and, and it's a great truth to, to study. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about 
predestined to heaven or hell here. He's talking about predestination to become like Jesus. Listen to what he says. For whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate to what? To be conformed to the image of his Son. So what is good? What is God's purpose? It is to make us like Jesus. Now folks, some of us are entering that process kicking and screaming. And we make it hard on ourselves. Are you hearing me? We fight and kick and scream. But God is still about His purpose. Now, let me just share two or three things about God's purpose. That, that as I reflected and meditated on this, these verses, these two verses, it's just kind of captured my heart. Now, the first thing I, I want to say, this is not in your notes, but, but, but let me just begin by saying this, that to understand God's purpose, we all may always must begin with God. Amen. We must begin with God and not with man. I, let, let me read Romans eight twenty eight in uh, several versions for you. Uh, just listen to me and, and try to notice the difference in the different translations. Here's, here's the King James Version. All things work together for good to them that love God. You, you know that one. You got that one. All right, listen to the New American Standard and try to see the distinction. God causes all things to work together for good. You see any distinction there? In the King James Version, where does God come? At the end of the verse. In the New American Standard, where does God come? At the first of the verse. Listen to the New International. In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. Listen to the English Standard Version. And we know that from, for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, it, it, it's interesting. The difference is that, that the King James Version, which many of us love and grew up, and I, I've probably memorized 500 verses over 50 years of the King James Version. But, and, and, and this verse is not wrong. I'm not indicating that. But the, the more recent versions, I think, give the greater sense of what the text is meaning when it puts God at the beginning of the verse and not at the end of the verse. Now, let me tell you why. I'm going to give you a quote by Dr. Ray Pritchard. And I quote, he says, We will, pro we will never properly understand this verse as long as we put God at the end and not at the beginning. But some folks look at life that way. They believe that life is like a roll of the dice. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And they believe that after a tragedy, God comes up to make everything come out right. But my dear friends, that's not the biblical view of God. And Pritchard continues, in reality, God is there at the beginning and He is there at the end. He is there at every point in between. The point is we must see the active involvement of God in life circumstances. What happens to you and to me is not the mechanical turning of some impersonal wheel. It is not fate or karma or luck. God is actively at work in your life. Paul is, saying this, Paul is not saying this, that whatever happens is good. No, he's not saying that. Is he saying 
that suffering and evil and tragedy are good? Absolutely not. Is he saying that everything will work out if we just have enough faith? No. Is he saying that we will understand why God allowed this tragedy to come? No. What then is he saying? He's saying that God is actively at work in your life. He is erecting a sign over the unexplainable mysteries of life, a sign that reads, quiet, God at work. Do you believe that? No, this doesn't answer all the questions. No, it doesn't give us all the, the, the mysteries of, that life brings. But my dear friend, I'd rather choose a loving Heavenly Father that I can't understand than blind fate. I'd rather lay my head down on a pillow at night knowing that there's a God greater than I can ever understand all of His mysteries than to believe that chance is in control of my life. I choose the sovereignty and providence of God. And I'm going to tell you, I recommend that to you, regardless of what you're going through. You may never understand it fully, but my dear friend, you can trust God. You can trust God that when we can't, when we can't understand Him, we know He understands what He's doing. Well, God's purpose, we must begin with God. Now, let me just give you four quick things. You listen quickly, and uh, I'll, I'll speak real quickly. Here they are. You want to fill in your blanks in your, in your outline? There's four things I, I, I think come out of this verse. Number one, God's purpose is active even when it seems inactive. Notice that word, W-O-R-K. Say that word with me, church. Work. God is at work. In other words, God is active. God is at work. But the scripture, uh, the scripture doesn't tell us how He's at work. And so sometimes it doesn't seem like He's at work. You ever been there? Have you ever been to a meeting and you think God missed the invitation to the meeting? Hey, I preached in a lot of I preached in a lot of churches over the last fifty years, and they sent out a lot of invitations for people to come to the revival. I just wish they'd have sent an invitation to God. But you see, God is most active sometimes when we think He's the least active. I, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if Joseph struggled with knowing that God was active in his life when he was sold into slavery and then lied about by Potiphar's wife. But years later, it became quite clear that God was orchestrating all the events of his life to accomplish a larger and more glorious purpose than he could ever have imagined. Uh, what about Job's experience? He lost everything. His family, except a wife that encouraged him to curse God and die. He lost his camel truck line. He lost his home. He lost everything. And you and I are told why this is all happening. We see behind the scenes. We know what's going on in the negotiations between Satan and God. Job didn't know that. And it seemed like his world was falling apart. How could he have ever known that God was working providentially through these circumstances to accomplish his larger and glorious purpose? I, I, I loved Dr. Adrian Rogers, and I, one of the stories he used to tell was about a man who loved yellow. And I mean, he just loved yellow. Anything yellow, he loved it. He had the yellow carpet 
in his bedroom. His wife bought him some yellow curtains, got him a yellow recliner, painted the walls yellow. All the furniture was yellow. One day, he came down very, very sick. He came down with yellow jaundice. And so they had the doctor friend, the friend of theirs who was a physician, he was too sick to go to the office, so they asked their doctor friend to come and check him out. And so he did. And he went upstairs, and he stayed and stayed and stayed. The wife was beginning to get frantic when finally the doctor came down the stairs with a very frustrated look on his face. And she ran up to him and said, Doctor, what's wrong? How is my husband? He said, I don't know. He said, I looked for that man for two hours. <laughs> I looked for that man for two hours, and I never found him. Uh, have you ever felt that way about God's activity in your life? Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? You see, I just want to tell you, in 2019, God's plan is going to be active in your life, sometimes when it doesn't seem like he's active. And can I just encourage you, sometimes he's most active when you think he's least active. God is at work in your life. Now that, we've got to be saved. Remember what are the two prerequisites? Saved and surrendered. And if we are saved and we're surrendered to the purpose of God, then you mark it down, dear friend. Like Dr. Henry Blackaby taught us in the book Experiencing God, God is always at work. We just got to find out where he's working and join him. Amen. Well, I was, I was a young preacher. I hate to say that. Well, I wish, you know, I used to didn't have to say that. Man, uh, I remember I was, I was just like 29 and I, I moved to this church and left a little church uh, a small church and went to this what, what, he, what seemed to be a city church you know for me and uh, boy God just put his hand on that church we just began to grow and grow and, uh, and almost every Sunday folks were joining the church a lot like what's happened here it was just a great church and after a while I began to, th I began to think in my heart move over Billy Graham here I come now that was I never voiced that outside, but God was blessing. Yeah. And so this young couple, uh, this, no, this older couple, older couple, kept visiting our church. And I kept wondering, everybody else is joining, why don't you join? So finally I, I went across town to visit them and went into this little country home and uh, I started to say something to them and and I, I asked them, why, I know you've been visiting a lot for a long time. Why don't you just come on and join us? And that little steely-eyed senior adult looked across that floor at me and said, I don't like your preaching nearly as much as I like that preacher that was there before you. Now let me tell you. That'll bust a young, budding Billy Graham's balloon. I remember walking out and getting in my little Volkswagen. I've never had God speak to me audibly. But buddy, he came about as close that day as he ever had.
It's like the Lord said to me, Tommy, you needed to hear what she had to say. Because all that I'm doing at Oakland really has very little to do with you. It has a lot to do with what I want to do. You know, God used something that I thought, I wanted to rebuke the devil. I thought, what, the devil made her say that? No, probably not. Probably the Lord led her to say that because I needed my ego addressed. Do you see what I'm trying to say? I'm saying that sometimes God is active in those situations we wish didn't happen. Well, I spent too long on that one. Preached myself in a corner to, to buy. No, number three. God's purpose includes some things we would probably not include. He says, all things. Do you see that? All things. So God's plan is good when it seems that it's not good. That's the first point. God's plan is active when it seems He's not active. And number three, God's purpose includes some things we would not include. Hey, I want to read a verse to you. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 15 and 16. You don't have to turn there. Just let me read it to you. Now, let me say again, God's purpose includes some things we would probably not include, just like that visit to that little lady. Listen to what Moses said. It says, And Moses proclaimed the law to Israel. He reminded the people, God led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of the flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna which your fathers did not know. Now notice, here's the purpose statement. That he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. He said, I led you through the wilderness to humble you so that in the end you would be a better person because of that. The Puritan Thomas Watson said, a sick bed often teaches more than a sermon. God uses pain to help us feel our frailty and see our need for healing. God uses perplexity to reveal our lack of wisdom. God uses financial problems to reveal how limited our resources are and how desperately we need Him. God uses our mistakes and failures to humble our pride. God uses some things we'd just assume He would not use. My grandmother and my grandfather were in the tornado that hit Belden, Mississippi in the early 1950s and destroyed Belden. It was a Sunday afternoon. All the family were gathered at my grandparents' home, as they always did on Sunday. They didn't have the advanced weather warning we have today, so the tornado was on them before they knew it. All the family ran to the storm house except my mama, my, my grandmother, and Papa Barber. Mama was in a wheelchair with crippling arthritis, so she could not go, and Papa stayed with her. The tornado hit their home directly. Exploded it into what looked like on pictures a million pieces. When they found my grandmother, her legs were so broken they were laying across her stomach. They rushed her to Tupelo Hospital. They told the family, if you want to see your mother alive, my mother's mother, you need to come to the hospital. They came and spent the night expecting Mama Barbara to die, but she lived. 
She lived the next day and the next day and the next day. Long story short, she survived. Fast forward 20 years. I became her pastor. But here's the thing. Before the storm, she was confined to a wheelchair. When I became her pastor 20 years later, she was up walking around. Explain that to me. I can't explain it. But what happened to her physically happens to many of God's people spiritually. The storms come and they're almost crippled. But the storm in the long run strengthens them and helps them to get on their feet spiritually and walk. Sometimes God's purpose includes storms. We don't like them. I don't like them. But God uses them. All things work together. Well, here's my closing point. God's purpose is harmonious even when it seems discordant. Notice what he says. And we know that all things what? Work together. Work together. Work together. That's one Greek word. And that one Greek word, synergo, from which our English word synergy comes, means the working together of various elements to produce an effect greater than and often completely different from the sum of each element acting separately. In other words, synergy. When more than one element comes together and they begin to work together and the end result of synergy is something that couldn't have happened if it were just the one ingredient alone. Barclay translates this, we know that God intermingles all things for good to them that love Him. Now here's what that means to me, church, as I wrap this up. It means that the events of life are not just random and unrelated. In adverse circumstances, our unbelief asks, how in the world can this be working for good? The answer comes back, wait until the great physician finishes the prescription. You see, he's not through yet. He's not through yet. I attended a funeral yesterday. It was of a precious lady, godly woman, a Christian leader in our city who on Christmas Eve lost her life in a house fire along with three Indian teenagers who attended school here in the United States and was just on Christmas break in their home. I went to that funeral wondering what, what will the preacher say? What will the service be like? And in some ways, kind of dreading because it's such a tragedy, such a heartache. But I believe it was one of the most powerful two-hour worship services I have ever been in. I'm talking about powerful. I'm talking about the presence of God. 
How can that possibly happen? It's the truth of Romans 8, 28. Did they have all the answers to why? No, they didn't have all the answers to why. But they had enough light to know that when they couldn't understand God, they could trust Him. When they couldn't trace His hand, they could trust His heart. And my dear friend, I recommend that to you. The supreme illustration of that, what is it? Calvary. The devil thought he had done the worst he could ever possibly do by putting Jesus on the cross. But my dear friend, God used that terrible act as the redemption act where Jesus shed his blood so that you and I could be forgiven. That's an example of God working all things together for good to them that love him. The story is told of a father whose son was killed in a terrible accident. He came to his pastor and in great anger, which is often the case with such a terrible loss, he asked the pastor this question, where was God when my son died? The pastor thought for a moment and replied, the same place he was when his son died. You see, that's the final piece of the puzzle. He knows what we're going through, for he too has been there. He watched his own son die. And not until the loom is silent, and the shuttle cease to fly, will God unroll the pattern and explain the reason why? The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the life that He has planned.